Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Mike Nilsson of Gonzaga University. Now, before we jump into this week's show, I want to start us off with something new. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like the old week that was, weekly recap, was getting a little bit stale, a little bit redundant. So instead, I want to try something new. So I got four things for you this week that are new and noteworthy in my life, things that I'm excited about. The first would be training, believe it or not. Since the intensive and since basketball season has wound down, or at least the preparation side, the off-season training side, I've had more time to dedicate to my own training. And again, between the intensive and between having more time, just kind of excited about my own training and what I got going on. Feel like I've got some new understandings as to why my body moves the way that it does, things that I need to work on personally to just move more efficiently. And let's be honest, I'm not like out there trying to slay PRs right now, but just genuinely excited about my own training. And I think it would be remiss if I didn't mention my boy Will Fleming here and his shoes, the Velasa squat shoes. I don't know if you've seen me throwing those up on the gram, but I'm really trying hard to get (laughs) any semblance of eccentric orientation through my pelvis, trying to get my hips underneath me, uh, keep my upper back open and just being able to actually squat down versus squatting down and back like I did for many, many years when I was powerlifting. So lots of fun stuff that I'm working on. Uh, If you're interested at some point, I'll definitely do a little write-up as to what I'm attacking, what I'm working on, and kind of my strategy and my thought process for rebuilding my own movement. So that's number one, excited about training. Number two, if you follow me on the gram, you will see in the stories, we are currently fostering five kittens. So This is the third time we fostered for the Noblesville Humane Society in the last couple months. We started off with an awesome dog named Bentley. How that guy didn't become a full-time member of our family, I don't know. Just an amazing dog. Just super friendly, super chill. The kids loved him. I mean, he adored Cade, and Cade adored him. So the fact that we could give him back, wow. I mean, that says world's about us. Hopefully we're not just cold-hearted evil people, but man, awesome dog and luckily found a good home now. We had a second dog named Nikki who was, uh, actually she was a stray and underweight, nursed her back to health. And now we have these five kittens and man, you wouldn't think that kittens would be a lot of work. It's not like a dog, right? But I mean, just sheer volume. I mean, there's five of them. They're six weeks old. We've got them in kind of the kid's bathroom just kind of cooped up in there right now we get them out multiple times per day so they can run around but that's been a lot of fun they're super cute i don't think we're gonna make any of them uh permanent members of the family but man it is really fun we've got a a more grown-up cat who's about five years old now so you forget how little they are how cute they are how much energy they have but man it is it's either blast or dust with these little fellas right now. They're either sprinting and attacking each other and playing, or after about 20, 30 minutes of that, they're just crashed out on your lap. So been a lot of fun enjoying that. And you know, I'm sure at some point, probably in the spring, we're gonna add a new member to the family. So stay tuned for that. Number three, my wife and I in August celebrated our 15 year wedding anniversary. So kind of a big deal there. And for me personally, I'm just beyond all of the material stuff. 
You know, I'm not going to go spend an excessive amount of money on a new piece of jewelry that you wear infrequently, if ever. Instead, I'm big on making memories, right, and experiences. So for our anniversary, we actually celebrated this last weekend. We went down to Louisville, went out to dinner, stayed the night in a hotel down there. But the most important part of the weekend was we went and saw Chris Stapleton in concert. And man, I'm the first to admit, I'm not a huge country music fan. There's certain bands I can get behind or certain songs. But man, this guy is so talented, so talented. And and I think she said it best. He's really got an iconic voice. And to just imagine that that guy for 14, 15 years was writing Grammy award-winning songs for other artists and not out there performing on his own is just mind-blowing to me. But now to to know he's so talented in the fact that he writes his own music, he sings, he's like his own lead guitarist. He's one of those people, If even if you're not into country music, if you like really good music, I think you would enjoy his show because he is such a world-class performer. So awesome event there. And then the last thing that I'm pretty jazzed about is the fact that Bill and I have kind of had a couple meetings here lately, a meeting of the minds and trying to figure out, okay, like what are our next steps at IFAST with our education? And so without giving everything away, let me just tell you that there is some really cool stuff coming down the pipeline between he and I. And I think we're going to really start collaborating a lot more on stuff it's hard because we we each have our own unique voice. We have our own unique audience. But at the same time, we both know that we're more powerful as a team and we can get the message out to more people. We've got two different viewpoints. Obviously, he's more on the rehab side. I'm more on the training side. So just be on the lookout. We actually, I can't tell you this, we actually recorded our first iFast podcast today. Now, it's going to be a little bit different than this show. It's going to be primarily just Bill and I having discussions, going back and forth back and forth on various topics, but very excited to put that out there. We will have some guests from time to time, but it's going to be very MR and Bill driven. So we got that, and then the education pieces again. I'm not going to let the whole cat out of the bag just yet, but just some very, very cool stuff. If we can pull all this off, we have essentially the next three, four five years of our lives carved out with regards to the education process, the things that we want to create, and just basically the way we want to help drive, shape, and mold the fitness and physical therapy industries going forward. Because while there are probably more courses and seminars and events out there than ever before, I'm not sure that that directly correlates to really high impact or high quality events. So be on the lookout for that. I'll definitely talk more about that as we move forward. And we're going to do a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this show with my boy, Mike Nilsson. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs 
for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym. From squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next CERT will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Mike Nilsson is an owner of U District PT and the head strength and conditioning coach for Gonzaga University. He played basketball for the Bulldogs during their Elite Eight and Sweet 16 runs, earning WCC Defensive Player of the Year honors. Mike is a fellow of Applied Functional Science, licensed sports nutritionist, and holds a master's degree in leadership. He has taken his passion for training, nutrition, and leadership and created HoopCommitment.com, which is an online resource for basketball players, coaches, and parents. In this show, Mike and I talk about how an Achilles tear in his senior season pushed him towards a career in physical preparation, what it means to eat, train, and lead, and his three levels of leadership. Mike has a truly unique approach to building not only better basketball players, but better humans as well. I know you're going to love this show, so enough from me. Let's do this. Mike, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. I've been listening to your podcast, and I love it, and it's such a great resource for strength coaches like me. So. It's really an honor to be on. And a little bit about me, I'm a, I'm a father to three awesome kids, Carter, Ella, and Memphis. And I just love being a dad. My wife, Rhiannon, and I, we live in Spokane. And we're a basketball family. Yeah. Uh, you know, my kids do other things. They do dance and football, but we just really love hoops. I got to play basketball here at Gonzaga University. And now I'm the head strength coach here. And so my main job is to train women's basketball, but I get to oversee kind of all the teams and work with the nutrition yeah, it's just kind of my dream job. I've always loved hoops, and so now to be involved with it at you know throughout this part of point of my career has really been a blessing. That's awesome, man. And what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all of this? Well, my senior year, I tore my Achilles tendon in the first round of our conference tournament, mm-hmm. and I was just devastated because before then, I didn't really know what I wanted to do beyond basketball. You know, when I was in junior high, I knew I was going to play high school basketball. When I was in high school, college, and so. I had this plan of playing over in Europe, and then I tear my Achilles, and everything just kind of halted. And so lying in my bed, I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And that's when I really came up with the idea of, well, what do I love about basketball? I love the preparation part of it. I love learning about the human body. I love nutrition. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be a strength conditioning coach. And so that was like a a huge aha moment for me. Mm -hmm. And then I connected with two great partners, uh, Jeff Hart and Brian Cronin. And they introduced me into the world of applied functional science. And then I was just hooked, you know, kind of learning that the whole body was connected and, you know, the ankle affected the knee and the knee affected the hip. And so it's been kind of digging down the the rabbit hole of applied functional science over the last 15 years. I love it, man. And tell us about your career path. So 
you know, you tear the Achilles, you start getting into all this, but like, what was next? Like what kind of sequence or, or what path did you follow to get to where you're at now? Yeah, a lot of people ask me that because I really do have the best job in the world being able to work with basketball at Gonzaga. And a lot of luck is how I got there. You know, it, it was just being at the right place at the right time and, and kind of having the right preparation. You know, as a student athlete here, we have the best athletic directors administration up here. And so I made a good connection with them. And as I was working at a local gym after I tore my Achilles, I went and approached the athletic department. And we didn't have a strength coach at the time. Really? And I, yeah, can you believe that? That's we amazing. Actually, no, that's crazy. We had a person at the time, this was in the late 90s, that was working with basketball. Okay. But it, was, it wasn't that formal. And it just so happened, right after I tear my Achilles tendon, this person moves away. Mm. And so now there's an opening. So it was, like I said, a lot of luck. I went and approached the athletic department and I said, if you let me go take classes for free, anatomy, physiology, labs, I'll train the basketball teams for free. And so that's what I did. They let me come back and I took classes and I was working at a local gym doing personal training, making a ton of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. uh, the strength coach that we had before, his name is Mike Chrysler, a great inspirational guy. I kind of used his template that he had used with us so I didn't screw up things too much. Right. I got the love and I got the experience. I rehabbed. I did that for a year. And then I went and played basketball over in Europe for a couple of seasons. And the whole time I'm playing basketball, I just know what my career path is. I knew what the next step is. I'm going to be a strength coach. And so I finally retire after a couple of seasons. I come back. And once again, timing was just perfect. The year I get back, they're going to hire a head strength coach full-time and a part-time assistant strength coach. Wow. Well, I applied. The part-time was 20 hours a week, and I got my foot in the door. And But I, I met with the athletic director, and I said – hey, is this ever going to be a full-time assistant position? And they just didn't know. Their right. thought, you know, it could be next year, it could be 10 years. And so in the meantime, those two great guys, Jeff Hart and Brian Cronin, they're both physical therapists. They said, well, what if we started a business? We'll do the physical therapy side. You could do the sports performance side. And I was, you know, it was kind of nice. I didn't have any money at the time, so there's <laughs> nothing to do. And so we're like, yeah, so we started this business. It's called U-District Physical Therapy and Sports Performance, located right here in Spokane. And now I was doing both. You know, my, my mornings, my lunch times, my evenings, I was training athletes at U-District. During the day, I was working at Gonzaga for 20 hours a week. And then the head strength coach leaves the next year. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have to make this tough decision of, okay, do I take this? Because they offered me the head job here full time. Mm -hmm. But I also have this business. And we decided, well, let's, let's give it a go. My partners were in. And so I became the head strength coach here as an employee. And I did that for a year. And it was really difficult. You know, there's one strength coach training 300 and some athletes. As you can imagine, wow. I wasn't the best job I could. But in addition to that, I'm also seeing clients over at U District. I'm doing business meetings. And after a year, my wife was like, no, this isn't working. <laughs> right. and so this, this was kind of the, uh, a huge blessing. Once again, here's the luck piece of it. I approached the athletic department and said, hey, I'm so sorry, but I, I don't think I can do both. And they said, well, the next strength coach we bring in is going to have the same issue. One strength coach for 350 Division One athletes just doesn't work. What if your business took over the contract to train the athletes and you guys could be the exclusive strength conditioning providers for Gonzaga? And what that allowed me to do is bring in other strength coaches. We have 10 CSCS strength coaches at my facility. We have 15 physical therapists. And so now I could take these great strength coaches and include them in the program. And so we had one strength coach, his name's Travis Knight, that was working at U District. 
a brilliant mind. He's kind of like a mad genius. Right. Brought him in, and he could train basketball. And then we had another great strength coach named Sarah Michelson, and her and I kind of divvied up the other teams. And so that allowed me not to have all the early morning and late nights. We could kind of trade off. Right. And over the last ten years, we've just been building up that contract to where now it's changed, where I can just train women's basketball and oversee everything. So. Like I said, a lot of luck, you know, wasn't what I planned on doing early on. But I also think it's been kind of a gift because I think, you know, you have a little, I have a little chip on my shoulder as far as not having that traditional path of being able to study under great strength coaches and, and having, you know, this, this degree in exercise science. I had to go a different route. And so um, that's kind of really driven me to just step on top of the continuing education piece. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's funny, I did a, a show with John Berardi recently and he talks about like just owning your path and knowing that everybody is going to follow a different route to get to where they're at and it's just very cool it's a very non-traditional route that you took but I love it man and I love that you've made the most of it so one thing I would love to talk about with you and I'd love to focus our show on is training basketball players like you said you're a basketball family you've got a bad basketball podcast you train basketball players so let's start with the foundational stuff first what are the biggest needs that you see when it comes to training basketball players? You know, I think it's endless, but there are three areas that I really focus on, and I call it eat, train, lead. Okay. You know, what I found is that that nutrition piece is crucial for basketball players and for all athletes, but I really do. That's all I train as basketball players, so my, my language is really a basketball language. And I, I tell our players, food is literally the fuel, the energy that it takes for you to complete a workout. You know, if you're going to jump, sprint, shoot jump shots, that energy is coming 100% from the food that you eat. And then when you recover or you want to build muscle or you want to improve, that muscle that you build is going to come 100% from the food that you eat. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe that nutrition piece is just the foundation of what I do. And then, of course, the strength conditioning piece is a, a huge part of it. And I'll kind of share some of my views on basketball-specific strength conditioning. But the third piece, which is one I've really been digging into lately because I think the more I'm looking for it, the more I see the need for the leadership part. Mm. And what we find is that if you have a great group of athletes that are awesome players that don't work well together, you're probably not going to be very successful. Yeah. But if you teach those players were to make the sum of the parts you know, greater than the individual – I think you're going to have something special. And so that eat, train, lead is kind of what I do with my athletes. We focus on different parts, you know, during different times of the year. But that leadership piece, I think, is something awesome because we know it's a skill that can be taught. Yeah. You know, I have a little six-year-old son that's learning how to play basketball right now. And he gets in the gym and he's missing all his shots. Of course, <laughs> he's six years old. Right. Now, I wouldn't say, buddy, I need you to be a great shooter. Come on. Now, you got to make this shot for me. Right. And then he misses hey, come on, man, I need you to be a shooter. That would be madness. I have to give them the skills of shooting. You know, there's nine keys to being a great shooter. And there are things that could be taught and practiced and coached. And I really believe there's nine keys to being a great leader. And they're, and, and it's going to be different from for you know every program. But here at Gonzaga, we have nine things that we want our athletes to think, say, and do and we spend the course of the whole season giving them those cues so when we say be a great leader they know exactly what that means and exactly how to work on it hmm. i love that because a lot of times too you hear people talk about leadership and it's like oh yeah you should be a better leader and then it's left at that versus as you alluded to you're actually giving them things that they can work on or i think you said nine different things that they can focus on throughout the year and that you're implementing to make sure you actually get the job done 
you know, it started with my AAU team, my little, I have a, a son who's now in sixth grade, but at the time he was in third grade. And I knew that basketball is more than just a game. Mm-hmm. It's more than just a way to get together with your friends and work up a sweat. I knew there was so much more to it. It's the life skills, it's the teamwork, it's being part of something bigger than yourself. Yep. And if I'm going to work with these kids every week and teach them how to shoot, pass, and dribble, I really feel like it's my responsibility to teach them how to be a good teammate and be a good leader. Skills that are going to carry over after the basketball career ends. And so, you know, I have a master's degree in leadership from Gonzaga here. And through all of those teachings, I developed what we call the three levels of leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a roadmap for players to become their best so they can turn around and help others become their best. And so I'll just give you a quick overview if, I love if it. you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I love it. You know, the foundation of all leadership is synergy, which is your ability to create relationships and, and create energy with your teammates. And here's why. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yep. And so as a level one leader, my job is to be able to create connections, build energy. I can have influence just by being a good teammate. And the best level one leader I've ever seen is a guy named Andrew Sorensen. He played basketball here. He was a walk-on, and after three years, he got no playing time. Oh, but wow. he's this great team guy, this great energy guy. And his senior year, Coach Few gives him a full-ride scholarship worth over you know, $50,000 oh because of his ability to create synergy with others. And so I love that. That's the foundation. Now, you could be a great player. You could be the best scorer on the team. You could be MVP of the league. But if you don't know how to create synergy with teammates, you're not a leader. Yeah. And so that's what we work on. And there's three things that we work on that to, to teach our athletes how to create synergy. We teach them exactly how to think, what to say, what to do. And then they have to practice it. And if they do that well, they earn the right to be a level two leader, which is sweat, which is basically, basically your ability to lead by example, to lead through hard work, through your sweat. And so that's what most people traditionally think of leadership as, is leading by example. And the best level two leader I've ever seen is a guy by the name of J.P. Batista. This guy was this big Brazilian, you know, he's 6'7", 270 pounds and just muscle. And the guy was a level two leader first off because he had a connection with his teammates. Every single person on the team trusted and respected and liked J.P., right? But this is what made him a level two leader. He was the first person in the gym. He was the last one to leave. He, matter of fact, if his workout landed on game day, he was going to be in the weight room working out. And, and because of that, he had such a huge influence. If, if leadership is just influence, he had even more influence than most of the guys on the team because he had that level one synergy. But then the guys listened to him because they knew he put the work in. Right. But the only problem with leading by example is that it only works if people are there to watch. And what I found is that people that need the most help usually aren't looking for it. And so that's why we need something higher than a level two leader, a guy that leads by example. You need a level three leader, which is to serve, which is to tell your teammates what they need to hear with love. And the best level three leader I've ever seen is John Stockton. Mm. And what I love about him is, you know, you wouldn't know it unless you're kind of in that inner circle. But man, he loves his teammates. He loves his family and friends probably more than any person I've seen. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of playing with him every Sunday for the last 15 years. And if I roll my ankle that Sunday, I'll go home and nurse it and come back the next week. And all my buddies that next week will say, how you doing? Well, there's one person that's going to call me throughout the week, which is John Stockton. He'll call and, hey, how you doing, man? Can I do anything for you? Hey, why don't you? I mean, it's amazing how much he cares. And so because he knows how to create synergy and relationships, 
when he talks, I'm going to listen because right. he has, he's, he's a level one leader. And then he's a level two leader because he is literally the hardest worker I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, most when they step on the court, they kind of turn up their intensity like a radio dial. They start at level seven, eight, <laughs> nine. This guy, he steps on the court. He's, he turns on like a light switch. The very first play of the very first game, he's punching you in the nose. He's taking <laughs> a down your throat. He's so intense. And so once again, when he speaks, I'm going to listen because he leads by example. But what's really cool is he's a level three leader because he cares enough to say something. You know, if, if maybe I'm having a hard time finishing, he might pull me aside the next day or, you know, pull me aside and say, hey, man, why don't you think about this? This is one little drill that I've done. You know, if I'm having trouble shooting, he might say, hey, after, after uh, practice today, you want to get 50 shots up with me? You know, he's, he's not just concerned with himself. He serves me. Yeah. And he's probably smarter than the academics at leadership because he realizes that leadership doesn't always have to be nice and sweet and kind. He's also the first person to jump down your throat if you're doing something wrong and those other techniques aren't working. You know, there's many times he's flat out just turned off the lights at the gym and said, you know, no one's playing hard. We're going home. <laughs> and, you know, most people might hear this and at first thought be like, oh, gosh, what a arrogant guy or you right. know he thinks it's a gym but that's not at all he just cares more than anyone else and he's tried different techniques and because he respects the game so much and he wants us to improve he doesn't let us fall to a lower standard and so what i love about the three levels of leadership is now when i tell someone to become a better leader there's a roadmap you know if a yeah. player comes to me and says mike i want to be a better leader the first thing i could do is do you like and respect your teammates do you have a connection with people do you have your hood on in the locker room with earbuds in or are you making connections and laughing? Are you, are you going out to coffee or lunch with a friend? Are you, are you going bowling with people? I don't know what that is, but the first thing is do you have a connection? And then if you do and say, I already do that, well, then here's the next step. You want to be a better leader? Show up and get your five minutes of ball handling in before practice. Make sure you eat breakfast. Are you going to bed on time? Have you got your free throws in today? You better win this set of lines. And then if they say, I'm doing that, coach, well, then you've earned the right to be a level three leader. And if you're doing those things, your teammates are going to want to hear from you. You know, we had one of our best players and a phenomenal leader two years ago. They were all league and they were unbelievable level two leader. And they thought they were the best leader they could be because they were leading by example. And this framework was so helpful for him because I said, hey, you're the senior. These freshmen want to hear from you. And they oh, well, you know, I kind of do my own thing. That's not me. I'm not a vocal leader. And I said, well, level three is not about you. Level three is about your teammates. It's not what you feel comfortable with. It's what your teammates need. And so I just love that framework because now it's like those nine keys to shooting. It's actually a roadmap. Instead of telling somebody to be a, a better leader and they might think, oh, well, that means I have to be vocal and tell people to go here and I have to t yell at someone for not touching the line. Well, that could be so harmful if you're not touching the line yourself. If you're not a level two leader, at level, you know, you better not be coaching someone else on being level two leader. Right. And if you don't have a connection with that person, they're not going to want to hear from you. And so I just love that because I think once you arm that framework with coaches, they can really make a huge impact, not just on their team, but on players' lives. Yeah, no, I love that, man. So something I'm really interested in getting your thoughts on is what misconceptions do you see when it comes to either training or working with basketball players? You know, the big one I think... I've had myself is that everything has to look like basketball. 
And I do think there is an important piece to that. I mean, I think we have to look at the energy demands, and the biomechanics of the sport. And a lot of times if I'm doing a lunge, well, that looks like a direct drive. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I might think, well, to make that more basketball specific, I actually have to have a basketball in my hand and I have to have the same angles. And I think I can get caught up in that trap. And so sometimes I have to look and say, well, something, sometimes basketball specific might be just this huge global movement like a squat or a press or mm-hmm. a pull. Because we know like in, in the Gray Institute is you know, the, where I like to spend a lot of my continuing education dollars. They talk about these 10 observational essentials. You know, 10 kind of qualities that we could kind of tweak or progress or change that will take something and make it more functional for the game of basketball. Mm. And so one of those things is environment. We know that if I'm on a basketball hardwood floor, that's functional for basketball. That's where they're going to play. But there's a time and place to say, you know what? I want this person in the pool or I want them on sand yeah. or I want them on an Eric's pad. And that could still be functional. You know, I just have to have the thought process. It could be the position. We know as a basketball player, if they're lying on the ground on their back, something's gone wrong, right? Right. As a player, we want them training on their feet. But we know that we can still tweak that because sometimes I want them lying on the ground because gravity acts upon them differently. And maybe I can load their thoracic spine when they're on their stomach. Or maybe I want them sidelined. Or maybe I want them seated, right? Right. Or maybe for me, like it's kind of funny because I'm a huge functional guy and i know that's got a bad bad rap sure but what i by that is i want to understand the function of basketball i got to know how the ankles and the thoracic spine and the hips move in all three planes of motion i have to know understand the function of their movement but one of the functions of being a good basketball player is just flat out being strong yeah and i found one of my favorite exercises i'm gonna get hammered for this <laughs> with the women's basketball team i like to do bench press yeah it's not because of what a lot of strength coaches say which is Hey, well, the players love it, makes them feel good. And I think that's important. I actually like just being under a heavy bar in a safe environment where I can load them up and I know they're not going to bail out in certain ways. And so for me, that's a functional movement because when you look at my whole training program over the year, it has a place. And so to me, I would say that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I've had to overcome. And I keep having to revisit and just ask, is this functional for what I'm doing? And I might be tweaking the speed of the movement or the weight or the duration or the angle. All of it's not going to be functional. The only thing that's really functional for basketball is playing five-on-five basketball. Everything is on some spectrum. And so I would say my program is probably more functional than anyone I've seen because I have the end game in mind. But with that being said, you're going to see my athletes on the sand, in the pool, lying on the ground, half kneeling, doing barbell exercises. But it all kind of progresses into something where they step on the court they're going to function better. I love it. So you mentioned your program a couple of times. So I would love to know when you're laying out a program, where do you start? And maybe what areas are you focusing on with a new athlete that you start working with? Well, I always like to start with the end in mind. You know, so mm-hmm. if the end game is I want them on their feet. If the end game is I want them to be better at basketball. Well, then if I could start there, that would be pretty cool too. Yes. Yep. So when I think about basketball specific training where i start is i think about i want them to be better on offense i want them better driving to the hole i want to make them better athletes for that i want them better on defense i want them better in transition and so i've kind of come up with you'll notice everything i do is in threes (laughs) but i came up with this thought of if i want to make a better basketball player they got to be better at driving defending and dominating their space drive defend dominate and of course there's going to be a play on words on there 
when I think about drive, it's kind of like the three levels. Drive is the foundation of all strength conditioning. And so where I start with them is how bad do you want it? How do you correlate what we do in the weight room or what we're doing with our performance training to how does that translate on the court? Because if I don't have buy-in, if they're not committed, I can't help them. Yep. But if they are committed, I can't stop them. And so where I start with them is I'm going to sit down and kind of find out what makes them tick, find out what they perceive the weight room to be and my training to be, and then just find an anchor. You know, Maybe for them it's they really have to have better balance or they have to jump higher. Maybe that's it. And now I know that anchor. So now when we're doing things, I could, hey, remember, this is going to really improve your vertical. This is going to help your rebounding. This has helped get you one inch so you can finish above the rim. Mm-hmm. And if I can start with that foundation of drive, then I think I got him hooked. Because what I found is I get to see a lot of great strength conditioning professionals talk. Like I, I heard you present in Seattle and I was like, oh, so now I'm asking <laughs> you to be on my podcast. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. But your training program is different than mine. But what I'm 100% confident in is your training program is really going to work if your guys are bought in. Yeah. So I think that's where I start with them is the drive. And then kind of the biomechanical part of that is we talk about driving into sports-specific transformational zones. I just have to look at the, the, the movements that they're going to be on the court. You know, For basketball, they're going to have to have, be in a specific squat position. They're going to have to have their feet wide, feet externally rotated. They're going to have to get in that defensive stance because we've all seen the coach that's frustrated with the player that can't get in a squat Come on, play defense. And so get lower. And instead of dropping their hips, they just progressively drop their head down, you know? Yeah. Yep. So my job as a coach is I have to say, what are those positions they have to get in? And I think about three main things in that drive. I got to gift them with mobility and stability of the ankles. I got to gift them with mobility and stability of the hips. And then that thoracic spine shoulder complex. And so that's where I start every program is I need to assess them and see what the mobility is on those three key areas. I really like doing the 3D maps movement assessment. It's basically six lunges and six balance reaches that gives me like a big picture of how the athlete's moving. I can kind of see, oh, that that shape doesn't look right. I'm gonna dig into the hips or that, you know, that movement didn't look correctly. I'm gonna really look at the thoracic spine. And so that's the first place I start with my assessment is how do they move? And then of course I do traditional tests, which is how do they perform? I want to test their vertical leap and their conditioning. And that helps me set the course. So if I know where they want to go, which is I got to, they have to be better at driving, defending, dominating their space on the court. And now I've assessed them and I know where they're starting. It's just like MapQuest, you know. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and take the straightest line there as I can. But we know life's never a straight line. You know, there's right. going to be injuries and there's going to be traveling and there's sickness. And, and then just flat out, I get it wrong. You know, like <laughs> I go to, I try something out. I'm like, this is going to be brilliant. And then after a couple of weeks, I'm like, oh, this was not the right thing for this athlete. And so then you have to, you know, you do a U-turn and travel somewhere else. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. So, you know, as well as I do, training basketball players is a year round job, right? There really is no true off season, at least it's regards to preparing them. So how does your program shift emphasis from the off season to the preseason and then into the in season period? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, in the off season, I just get to spend way more time with them. You know, I'm with them four days a week for at least an hour. And the off season I love because there's not the time demands that come with school. You know, there's student athletes here. Right. And we really have to put that first because if they're not graduating, if they're not doing well in school, they're not going to play. But we don't have that in the summertime, which is so nice. Yeah. We don't have media obligations. We don't have the team practices. And so 
during the off season, I get to really take time. And, and I'm thinking global at that point. We talked about the specificity. I just want to make them better functioning humans. Can they squat, lunge, push, pull, swing, rotate? Can they do that in all three planes of motion? You know, and, and so we're just building strength and volume. And a lot of what we do might not look that specific. But I'm just really hammering the volume at that time and trying to build that durability. Yeah. So then we'll hit that preseason. Now we know they're going to be spending more time on the court. I get less time in the weight room. We know the skills are even more important. So an athlete only has so much energy to give throughout the day. And so I want to be as efficient as I can with my training program. So we cut down to three times a week. But what I do is we ask less physically for them. But now I'm kind of asking a little more mentally or stuff outside of the weight room. We're focusing on that nutrition piece a lot more. Workouts are a little shorter, but then when they're doing some of their cool-down stretches, we're talking about progressing their nutrition. I kind of have three levels of nutrition that I take them through, and we're doing nutrition games. We're making the movements a little more specific, and then I'm adding in conditioning in that preseason time. In the off-season, you know, once again, if I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on conditioning because that's going to be competing for some of the other resources when I'm trying to build strength or power. And then as we hit the, the season time, which is right about now, we're actually going to be cutting back to two times a week. And, you know, I love the idea. I've listened to some of your other podcasts. We have other great strength coaches that do a lot of great stuff with microdosing. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to dabble with that. It just doesn't work out with our school schedule and our practice schedule because some of our athletes are student teaching. And we just – it just didn't work out. So Absolutely. We're cutting it back to two times a week. And now what I try and do is what are the really core things that work for us that I know aren't going to cause any issues? You know, I made a mistake as a young strength coach trying to add a little bit too much variety during the season. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden everyone's hamstrings are lit up or someone's <laughs> back door and I could feel myself just sweating. The athletic right. trainers call me, the, the basketball coaches call me. So <laughs> what I do now is I try and introduce some variety and some variation through movements that I know that we've done and that they're comfortable with and that I can kind of rotate throughout the season. But once again, as we cut back that volume, now we're really working on the leadership piece. And I know we, we just talked about the three levels of leadership. What we've done here, what I'm really excited about is the coaches have bought into spending time every single week to work on leadership training because we really feel like from now to, the, to March, the players aren't going to get that much better at shooting. They're not going to get significantly better at ball handling. I'm not going to get them significantly stronger or faster or quicker. But where we can really make significant improvements is through the team chemistry, through the leadership. And that doesn't take physical energy. And so every week we're showing – we study one of our leadership traits every two weeks. So right now we're on enthusiasm. We're going to spend two weeks telling the the ladies – exactly how they should think about enthusiasm, the stories they need to hear. We're going to talk about the NBA research that showed that the teams that are more enthusiastic, that give more high fives, chest bump, head rub, the more wins they have. The Hmm. players that are more enthusiastic, the better their personal stats are. So we share stories like that. We do team building exercises and we just tell them, this is what you think about enthusiasm. Here's what we say. We say, let's go. Someone, Someone takes a charge. Everyone's off the bench screaming, let's go. If their energy is low in practice, it's kind of nice to walk on redshirt freshmen, can sense that and say, let's go. And it could be a level one leader by creating energy. Right. And what do we do about it? We high five. And so, you know, for this next two weeks, we're going to spend a lot of the energy that might have been in the weight room with that physical preparation. And now we're turning it into mental preparation. And so I kind of like 
it's, it's difficult to do if you only see someone for six weeks to include all that. Yep. But the gift of being a college strength coach is that I get to impact them throughout the whole year, which is beautiful. You know, you can take all those traits that, you know, you go to a conference and you're like, I wish I could put that cool technique into my program, but you just don't have enough time. Right. But when you 12 months out of the year, you can do a lot of cool stuff. I love it, man. And I love that idea of rotating emphases because I think a lot of times we are technicians, right? And we love to talk about the X's and O's and volume and intensity and this exercise and that. But I love that idea of shifting emphasis because like you said, you're kind of leaving no stone unturned to give your team the best chance for success. You've already checked the training box. You're dialing in nutrition. Now you're getting them to come together as a team, working on those leadership skills. That's a really unique approach. I really like that. Well, I read this quote and it said, average players have quotes. Good leaders have a plan. Exceptional leaders have a system. Mm. And I read that quote and I immediately was embarrassed because I looked at what I've been doing the previous five or 10 years and I was just a, a, a coach that had quotes. Yeah. You know, I eat something that day, I'd, I'd watch a video that day and that would be my quote of the day. And there was no synergy or there was no progression to it. And so now what I really like about this is my nutrition has a system. My training piece has a system. The leadership has a system. And I think when you do that, then you can implement because I think one of our strength coaches here, Travis Knight, he says, change creates energy. And I love that thought of, boy, if I keep saying the same talk about nutrition, pretty soon that becomes the norm and they don't hear it anymore. You know, it's just like that, that background. But we can spend, you know, a couple weeks on this one nutrition key. Then they hear it. They can put it into their program, make it a habit. And then we might talk about sleep. And, and then they're always hearing a unique voice. It's not something that they just hear the same thing over and over again. I think you have right. to kind of peer it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So you were obviously a well above average player yourself playing at Gonzaga. But as coaches, I think one thing that we all come back to, we almost dream of what we could have been, right? If we would have had, again, you know, we're of a certain age now, like if we would have known what we know now. So my question to you is, what do you wish that you knew about training when you were younger? What would have taken your game to the next level? That, that, that one's easy for me. And that's why I love this leadership piece, because I think we all kind of dive into the medicine that would have cured us a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. like my partners are physical therapists because they tore their ACL and they're like, oh, now I want to be able to help people not tear the ACL or rehab from the ACL tear. And for me, I was actually a pretty good athlete. You know, I think adding another inch on my vertical or another 10 pounds of strength in any direction would not have made a huge impact on me. What would have made the biggest impact is the mental component. Mm -hmm. And I think through our leadership program, leader that level one, we talk a lot about how being a good teammate is important. But that level two, when we talk about the sweat leading by example, we get into things like grit and growth mindset and confidence. And that was my, my biggest hindrance. You know, I was a good player. I was MVP of the league in, in my high school in Seattle. And when I came to Gonzaga, though, I was a walk-on. Mm. And that really shook my confidence so much that it almost developed this personality disorder, <laughs> like Jekyll and Hyde, which was I became this aggressive defensive player where that was my MO. And what I loved about defense is you could play as hard as you want and you can make mistakes by, by diving on the floor and trying to take charges and people would give you praise for it. Right. Now, on the other side, I got really scared on offense because if you miss a shot and you're, and you're the walk-on redshirt freshman, you know, you, you, your confidence is already shot. And then the coach is like, I don't want you shooting that shot. I want the all-league player shooting that shot. And it just right. takes a comment to shake my confidence. 
more so by the end of my senior year, it was at Jekyll and Hyde. You know, I was a defensive player of the year in our conference at the same time. And I started, you know, I, I played the second most amount of minutes on the team. Wow. Yet I only averaged like three points a game. <laughs> I was so afraid to make a mistake on offense and, and take a shot that it was a hindrance to my team. You know, my team would run this awesome play, set me up, I'd be right there, and I would pass up the shot, which killed the whole flow of the team. Yeah. And I wish I had more strategies. I wish I understood, first off, just why that's wrong. You know, I didn't see it that way. I was right. I was looking. And then strategies, something I could practice to really be mentally stronger because I believe if I had more confidence on offense, our team would have played better and we would have had more success. And so now as a coach, what I love is, the, the nine keys to shooting, the skills of having wrinkles in the wrist and having your knees bent, your feet being your base, we teach that to our athletes. And the skills are really important. But that mental skill component might be more important. It's what allows you to use the nine keys to shooting, right? right? I'm a great shooter. If you took the best shooter on our team and myself and we shot 100 shots, you know, the best shooter might make, you know, 85 and I'm going to make 82, you know. Wow. I was right there. Yet, on the basketball court, I didn't have the confidence to use those skills. And so that's why that eat, train, lead model I think is so important. How do we give our athletes the, the communication skills, the thought process to, to own the mental side of the game? How do we give them the, the tools to fuel their bodies so when they step on the, on the weight room or on the court, now we can actually train them? I love it. All right, man. Big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Mike Nilsson one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? You know, I started this thing four years ago that really was a – maybe it just changed my life basically. I read this article about Jerry Seinfeld and he believes the key to his success is he writes just one joke a day. Mm, yes. And I'm reading this and I'm like the most successful comedian of our time is not writing 10 or 20 jokes a day, just one. But the power of the article talks about how he has a calendar that he puts on his wall. And every day that he writes a joke, he gets an X. So after a week, he has seven X's. He calls it a chain of success. Yeah. After a month, his whole calendar is filled with X's. And I'm reading this story just thinking about the power of this because after a year, he has 365 jokes, right? And the best part of the article was he says he's just like us. There's days where he's sick, tired, or unmotivated. And on those days, he says – don't break the chain. And I started thinking about all the times in my life when I failed, it's when that chain of success is short, you know? Yeah. If you only have one or two days of success, it's pretty easy to fail. But if you've done something for 30, 60, 100 days straight, there's no way you're gonna fail. And so what I've done is I pick one area that I really wanna learn about. So last year it was I wanted to learn more about function of the human body. And so then I just pick one person that's an expert in that area because we talk about studying the human body you might finish the year and be more confused than when you started because <laughs> right. all these different philosophies. But I said, I really want to understand what Gary Gray, how he views function. And so now what I do is I put a calendar on my wall and I commit to studying him every day for 15 minutes. I don't care if I'm sick, if I have the flu, if I'm broken arm, I'm going to study for 15 minutes. And what's cool about that is the hardest part of studying is just sitting down with the book Starting. and opening it up. Yep. Just Then most days, 15 minutes turn into an hour, two hours. But on those days where I'm so busy and I work and, you know, the kids are sick and I'm sick and we're traveling, I still can take 15 minutes before I go to bed and study. And what I found is, man, it is so awesome. The end of the year, now I'm not as smart as Gary Gray, but at the end of the year, you look back at the work that you've done and now I really have a glimpse into that world. And so 
I've been doing that every year, studying a new person. It doesn't have to just be strength conditioning. You could study mindfulness for a year. One year I studied this guy named Thich Nhat Hanh, who's just this Zen master who teaches about how to be present, how to breathe. And it was really cool just to meditate every day for 15 minutes and just see how that made me a better father, a better strength coach, made me have appreciation for sure. other people's struggles because as I sat down and tried to be present, and I'm like, I couldn't. 10 seconds into it, I, I'm thinking about this <laughs> in my life. So if I could go back in time, I would say start it earlier because it's just so fun to be able to dig into some one new thing every year. And that's where I got it, the idea for the hoop commitment. Mm. You know, if basketball players could make a commitment to just ball handle every day for five minutes, just for a month, right? Five minutes is so easy. At the course, at the end of the, the month, that's over two hours of intentional ball handling. Yeah. And so now I coach my little kids' AAU teams, and we do that. Every one of my kids has a calendar on their wall, and we go through the leadership program. But part of that is leading by example. For one month, they have to ball handle every day for five minutes. And it's so cool to see these kids that used to have their head down looking at the ball. A month later, now they're getting trapped with a double team, and their eyes are up. And I'm not exaggerating. It's that drastic. Yeah. And I always tell my kids, you cannot be a good teammate if you're not a good ball handler because if your teammate's wide open under the rim and you haven't put the work in, you can't pass to him, right? Right. But if you put the work in, it allows you to be a great teammate. So to me, I think the key to all of it is just that commitment, you know, just every day committing to something small, not something big. You know, if it's a one-hour commitment, you're going to fail. Right. But every kid can do five minutes, you know? Yeah, I love that, man. All right, last but not least, we got our lightning round, okay? So four questions. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's go time, man. So four questions, but your answer can be as short or as long as you'd like, all right? Number one, you're obviously a successful athlete, so I would love to know, what was your career highlight as an athlete? The Elite Eight game, you know, having Casey Calvary. We, you know, we were a 10 seed at the time. We weren't mm-hmm. supposed to, to win it all. We'd never won a tournament game. And the next thing you know, now we're in the Sweet 16, and we have this shot. We, we miss it. Casey Calvary tips it in, and we win at the buzzer. And everyone just dog piles at center court. You know, the toughest guy and the meanest guy on our team is kissing one of our teammates. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> awesome. And what I loved about that is I wasn't even in the game at the time of the tip-in. And it just goes to show you the power of the team. You know, like my teammates took me to the lead eight. And it was not about who scored the most points or who was in the game. Our coaching staff here, got, you know, Mark Few and everyone, they do a phenomenal job of building that community. So it's pretty cool when your highlight could be something where you weren't even contributing to it, really. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Number two, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Oh, boy, that's a, you got me on that one. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say relationships. You know, I think it's the journey. So not the one moment in time. But what I love is getting to know our coaching staff. You know, I, I started this leadership program with my my little AAU kids, my son and daughter's team. And then we took it to the women's basketball team and to see how they've improved it and made it their own. And I've learned from them and just getting to see their hearts, the players that I coach. That's the highlight, you know, I think yeah. won the lottery and I had all the money in the world. I'm still showing up to work because it really fills my cup. I love it. Okay. So number three, I know you mentioned it, but you've started your own podcast as well. Would you mind telling us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's called Hoop Commitment. You can find it on iTunes or Spotify. And it's basically meant for basketball players, coaches, and parents. And my mission is to help improve the way they eat, train, and lead. And so on there, I try and give a framework for nutrition. Here are the three levels of nutrition. So 
Now when I bring on sports nutritionists, experts in the field, they can understand the big picture of nutrition because sometimes we get caught up in the, hey, what should I have for a post-game meal or what are the best supplements? But you have to understand the big picture of nutrition and then it's training. I talk about the three levels of basketball training, drive, defend, dominate, so they can understand the big picture of training. And then I bring on experts like you, hopefully, <laughs> to be able to talk about how you train basketball players. And now they have a framework for it. I have the three levels of leadership. You know, I'm launching Lisa Fortier. She's our women's basketball coach. She's been coach of the year, rookie coach of the year for the, uh, for the uh, national organization. And we talk about how she implements leadership, but we, we still have that framework of the three levels. Bring on sleep specialists and conditioning specialists. The one that dropped just today was Joel Jamison. He's a world-renowned conditioning expert. And so really what I wanted to do is if you love basketball, if you have a son or daughter that plays, if you're an athlete, if you're a coach, I want this to be the place where you learn about nutrition, training, and leadership for the game of hoops. I love it, man. And we need more people like that in the basketball world. I feel like there's a lot of just kind of bogus stuff out there. So to have somebody like yourself pioneering that and pushing that forward, that's awesome, man. Oh, thank you so much. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Mike Nelson? What do you got going on? What are you excited about? Anything. Yeah, what I'm really excited about is we had a change just that just happened this year. And it's been 10 years in the, in the making. Literally 10 years ago, I was on vacation and sitting on a beach in Mexico with my family. And I love vacations because it's a time to unplug and really – make sure that we're charted on the right course. Mm -hmm. And I thought about what I want to do with my life. And I realized that if I won the lottery, had all the money in the world, I would still be a nutritionist, strength coach, leadership coach for basketball. And that was really cool because up until that time, I was trying to accumulate wealth so I could retire one day. Right. And then I had the aha moment, which is I never want to retire. (laughs) Yeah. But what I want to be able to do is really focus what I'm doing, my energy, because you know, in the past, I've trained golf and tennis and soccer and baseball. And, and I love all I love all the connections, but I don't necessarily understand the sport like I understand basketball. Yeah. I don't understand the chain reaction biomechanics of golf the way I do of basketball, the energy demands. And so what's next for me is now that's all I do full time, which is I train Gonzaga women's basketball and I do hoop commitment. And I'm so excited about it because in 10 years, if you ask me, what are you doing? Well, I'm just digging deeper into nutrition, training, sleep you know, biomechanics, conditioning, leadership, just for basketball. So I hope in 10 years, we're both doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we're both smarter and we can have each other on because like I said, I've been following you for a while now and you've been an inspiration to me because I see the stuff that you're doing. And just so you know, I'm picking those drills off. And <laughs> it's really cool now through, through your podcast, through your social media, through your website, that a strength coach across the country can help out my athletes. And so I think what's nice is we're really on the, all on the same team. Absolutely. How do all our players healthy? How do we help them perform? And of course they're going to go battle. But so I just want to say a huge thank you to you. Like I said, when people ask me about people to follow in the field or podcasts to listen to, like I said, you're, I'm subscribed and I can't wait every week to get yours. So thank I, you so much. Dude, thank you so much for saying that, man. I appreciate it. And it's been amazing chatting with you today. So glad we finally got to connect and make this happen. And where can my listeners find out more about you, the Hoop Commitment Show, everything that you got going on? Yeah, everything's Hoop Commitment. So if you go to hoopcommitment.com, you can sign up. I have a free five-day leadership course there, a ton of free information. You know, if you go on social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is Hoop Commitment. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast, I'd love if you give my Hoop Commitment podcast a try. 
I think you'll like it. Absolutely, man. Well, Mike, I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on, but thank you so much for your time, man. It was really great catching up with you today. Uh, look forward to our next meeting. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Mike. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He was a guy that I truly enjoyed catching up with at Joel's seminar a little while ago, but even more so in this show because I got a really bird's eye view as to how he approaches developing basketball players. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we can talk about training and nutrition, but you know, there's a lot of people that talk about leadership, but I'm not sure there's a lot of people that are really doing it at a high level. So I truly hope you enjoyed that part of the show. Now, if you know a basketball player, a basketball parent, a basketball coach that would benefit from hearing his message, please send this to them in any way, shape, or form. I don't care. Email, Twitter, Instagram. Drop them the MP3 file via Dropbox. Whatever works for you works for me. I just want to help spread this message and get this great information out there. So as always, my friend, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.